Welcome to the Simply Resilient Podcast, episode number 38, Therapy versus Coaching. My name is Jesse Ellertson, and I am a life coach and a military wife who is in the trenches of life with each of you. This podcast is for military wives who know how to handle the challenges of deployments and frequent trainings, but want to improve the experience that they are having in the process. If you are ready to thrive while your husband is away, then you are in the right place. We're going to start out our episode today with the battle buddy moment. And this is a review for the podcast from Pabloppy. And they say, Jessie's insights are spot on. I love listening to her coach others and benefit by applying the situations to my own life. Pearls of wisdom galore. She's unabashed, humorous, and fun to listen to. Keep it up, Jessie. Thank you so much for leaving that review. I really appreciate it. Keep them coming, everybody. Okay, so today we are talking about therapy versus coaching. And I want to start out by saying that when I use the word versus, I don't mean that these two professions are against each other. I just am going to be taking a look at each one and comparing them and seeing what's the same and what's different and what the strengths of one are, the strengths of another one are, just to clear this up because I get questions about this pretty frequently. And I think that the world understands therapy a little more than they understand coaching. So I think it can be helpful to take a look at this. My goal of this episode is to honor both as the amazing professions that they are and help you see which one might have a greater effect in your life at this moment if you are needing some help. Before I go into it, I do want to reference a few episodes on other podcasts that also address this topic that I listened to before making this episode, and they're all very helpful and interesting to listen to. So if you go to the Better Than Happy podcast, episode 187, Jody Moore has her sister Natalie Clay on, and they are talking about the difference between couples' coaching and couples therapy. If you go to Awesome with Allison, her podcast, episode number 54, Jody Moore is a guest on her podcast and talks about the difference between therapy and coaching. And if you go to the Life Coach School podcast, episode number 171, Brooke Castillo talks about the differences between therapy and coaching. And all of these episodes, like I said, are very well made and very informational. And so I recommend you listening to these as well if you have more questions or want to hear more on this topic. Okay, we're going to start by talking about the differences between therapy and coaching, and then we'll go into what both of these fields share. So while therapy is a regulated field, coaching is completely unregulated. While therapy tends to focus on mental illness, coaching tends to focus on mental health. Therapy is often focused on the past and what has happened in the past moving forward to today, while coaching tends to focus on what's happening today and moving forward into your future. People usually seek out a therapist if they are feeling that they have unstable mental health or if they're needing an intervention in their life, in their behavior, in a circumstance or situation they're dealing with. And some reasons that people often seek out coaching is something in their life isn't working for them or a problem has built over time and they they logically understand how to solve it, but they've been unable to solve it up until this point. And another reason that people often seek coaching is that they've been to therapy and gotten as far as they could in therapy, meaning healed from the trauma or returned from mental instability to mental stability, but now they're wanting to go even further in their life. While coaching asks what's next, therapy often asks why is that next? People who are seeking therapy are often trying to go from non-functioning to functioning in a certain area of their lives, while people seeking coaching are functioning but still suffering. 
a couple of different types of therapies that I wanted to talk about today. One of the most similar to coaching is CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And the reason that it's the most similar to coaching is because it's focused on the way you're thinking and your behaviors and problem solving, which is a focus that coaching takes as well. This type of therapy tends to be problem focused and action oriented, which is also similar to coaching. A few other types of therapy are psychotherapy, MFT, which is a marriage and family therapist, exposure therapy. You might also see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Okay, now we're going to talk a little bit about what both of these fields share. Both therapy and coaching help you improve your life just from different starting points. Both show you your mind. Working with either a coach or a therapist provides you with an unbiased audience. And when you work with a coach or a therapist, you are investing in your mental health. Over the years, I've had conversations with many people saying that we kind of all believe that we should all be in therapy all the time. Everybody needs a therapist, but we don't always have what we feel to be a strong enough reason to seek therapy. And I think this is really where coaching comes in. So I want to give you an in the trenches moment that I'm living in right now that I recently was able to use coaching to benefit my life in a way that I would have never used therapy because the problem, while big and important to me, wasn't significant or really bad enough to seek out therapy for it. So I am potty training my two-year-old. And for some reason, potty training is challenging for me. It takes a lot out of me. It is often a pretty challenging experience. I know what I need to do logically and I believe in the end result and I know it'll all work but I definitely dread it and it feels like torture and I suffer while it's going on and I'm always so glad when it's done. So as I prepared to potty train my last child this week, I was coaching myself and writing out the models that I was creating for myself with my thoughts, which were creating the dread and the resentment and the torture and the self-pity and all of these things. And I just was willing to sit with that for a little while and really own that my thoughts were what were creating that for me. And that was okay. But I just was really curious to see if there was another place that I could go besides just optimism or you know, empowerment, those are all good too, but I, I just wasn't really feeling some of my normal models that can take me out of this resentment, self-pity place I go to sometimes. And I am in Brooke Castillo's Self-Coaching Scholars program. Part of what is included in being a member of her program, besides having access to all of her calls and information and coaching, group coaching calls and classes, is a weekly one-on-one coaching session with one of her coaches that she employs. So last week I had my session and I decided to get coached on potty training. And it was such a fantastic session because I presented my thought download and some of the models that I had identified and we were discussing it and discussing where some of my problematic thinking was taking me and trying to pinpoint how I did want to feel. And then my coach for that session just said something so simple to me and she she didn't even know that she was showing me a thought that was really powerful for me. And the thought that I was able to come up with was that it was a cooperative effort. This is a cooperative effort is the thought that I've been channeling this week as I've been wanting to create the feelings more intentionally of accepting the 50-50 of potty training, accepting and acknowledging my efforts. And what this really took me to was acknowledging the efforts of my two-year-old. So when I get resentful and go to self-pity and things like that is when, you know, I've just sat them on the toilet 
and nothing comes out and 10 seconds later you've got their panties back on and you're moving on and they have an accident and you think you were just sitting on the toilet and you obviously you're not frustrated you logically understand that they're you know they're doing their best this takes some time to learn but your lower brain my lower brain offers me all kinds of thoughts like this is too hard I shouldn't have to clean up another accident so then I put on this fake face for my two-year-old because I know that I can't get upset with her she's doing her best and what I told my life coach that I do is that I I feel like I have to be a fake cheerleader when I'm potty training my kids like it's okay that we're cleaning up poop out of your underwear and more pee off the ground you're doing great and just basically lying to them was what I felt like I was doing and that felt awful to do that fake cheerleader thing and so now when I am doing the hard parts of potty training and I remind myself to think thoughts like this is a cooperative effort and I'm encouraging her efforts I feel genuine I feel love I feel acknowledgement for me acknowledgement for her the work that she is doing and the pieces of the puzzle that she's contributing and the I'm acknowledging the rewiring that's going on in her brain that don't look like much to me as the grown-up who doesn't need this wiring. My brain's already wired this way, but this is a whole brand new skill for her. And every accident is one more piece of the puzzle to her figuring out how to do it. One more piece of the wiring, and it's all essential. And so when I remind myself of those thoughts, it has been a game changer. It's still been hard. It's still been not my favorite thing to do, but I have been so much more relaxed, so much more at ease felt so much more, like I said, genuine and just open and accepting to the experience that we're having rather than wishing it were going differently, which is what my lower brain loves to offer me is that it shouldn't be going this way. It should be going differently. Potty training shouldn't be so hard. She shouldn't have any more accidents. I shouldn't have to be the one that cleans this up. I shouldn't have to do this alone. All these thoughts that just take me to the the feelings that feel so awful to me. So I bring up this in the trenches moment because potty training is not something you would ever go to therapy for. Now, I should say preparing for potty training is not something you'd ever go to therapy for. You may need to seek a little therapy after you're done potty training from the scarring that occurs. No, I'm just kidding. But I just love that this is an option now. Most of us will have big things that happen in our lives that therapy is absolutely the way to go to seek the healing and the medical help that you need, the intervention that you need, the stability that you need from those experiences and that line of thinking your your brain is on now and the actions that you're taking because of, because of that line of thinking. But so many of us just have day-to-day problems, week-by-week issues, challenges that come up that are still giving us a lot of trouble and a lot of suffering, but we wouldn't seek out a therapist. But now that we understand that this option of coaching is available to us, to have this unbiased listener show us our thoughts and show us how we can create something different if we want to when we're ready is so powerful. And I love that I now have this tool in my life as I coach myself and as I receive coaching from my various life coaching sources. I want to share with you uh, my personal experience with working with a therapist and what an amazing experience it was for me. I talk about this in the podcast episode that I did with the Rising Phoenix podcast, but I'll just share it again here briefly. I was pregnant with baby number five in 2015, and I was about five months pregnant when he passed away. We're getting ready to celebrate his fifth angelversary is what we call the day he was born, his angelversary. And I'll be doing a special podcast episode in a couple of weeks to celebrate that. My husband and I decided to start trying to get pregnant again pretty quickly. And by the fall, we were pregnant again with 
our daughter, Grace, and I was going through a lot physically, hormonally, mentally, spiritually during all of this as I dealt with the loss of my beautiful, healthy baby boy and the grief that came with that and then also being pregnant again and what my body had gone through, being pregnant, then not pregnant, pregnant again. I was dealing with what I now know to be postpartum depression while I was pregnant with another baby. And so that was a little bit trickier to identify because I was dealing with morning sickness at the time. And for me, the symptoms of morning sickness can look a little bit like depression where I'm tired all the time. I just want to sleep all the time. And I just don't really feel like myself. You know, my appetite is gone, among other things. And so it took me a little while to figure out that this was more than morning sickness, that this was depression. And I remember calling my OBGYN and telling her what I had going on and getting a recommendation from her for a therapist. And I was able to get in with her pretty quickly and worked with her for several months through that pregnancy and through that loss all wrapped up together, which was an interesting journey to unravel it, untangle it separate out each experience that I was having because they were so wrapped up in each other. And one of the most powerful things that I was able to accomplish by working with that therapist was that I was able to say exactly what I was feeling without having to worry about her feelings. Now, I don't know if this is something you guys have experienced, but I had a lot of people around me supporting me as I lost my baby and got pregnant again, but they were all totally affected by what had happened. And so I found myself not always sharing the depth of my sorrow and the depth of my grief and the depth of my anger about what had happened because they were having their own experience and I didn't really want their opinion about it and I didn't want to affect the experience they were having. And so I kept a lot of that to myself. I did share what I was feeling and I and that was helpful to talk to the people around me, but I couldn't believe the healing and peace and comfort that came from me being able to express myself any way that I wanted to, anything that I was feeling. And it wasn't happening to her. She could just hear it and be that unbiased audience for me. That was so, so powerful. She also had, obviously, tons of experience and expertise in this area and was able to give me a lot of tools and exercises and feedback and guidance as I worked through this and, again, unraveled the postpartum, the depression, the grief, the loss, the sorrow, the hormones, the morning sickness, the whole experience help me unravel that, help me heal the parts that I was ready to heal and allow for the parts that I had maybe pushed away and really learn how I personally dealt with grief. She helped me identify what each piece was and that was so powerful and so healing for me. So I have the highest opinion of therapy and its function and I have the highest opinion of coaching and its function and they both have awesome strengths and I would just highly recommend you guys if you're struggling in any way to invest in your mental health and seek out what version of this would be helpful for you. Now I have a special treat for you guys today. I was able to interview my oldest brother Ben earlier this week as I prepared this episode for you and he and I were having a phone conversation about a week ago and I he was checking in with me because he knows that I don't have Brad right now and I've got all my kids home all day long with the quarantine and he just wanted to make sure I was doing okay and after catching up for a little while I let him know that I was working on this podcast episode of therapy versus coaching and I was interested to hear his thoughts on it because I know that he has worked with both as well quite a quite an extensive experience with therapists and then also just recently last year he had 
some cool experiences with a health and life coach. And after that conversation, I thought we should do that again and record it this time. So he was so awesome to share with me the experiences that he's had in his life and how at one point in his life, therapy was the perfect thing and how at another point in his life, coaching was the perfect thing. And so I'll go ahead and include that interview here and I hope you enjoy it. Ben, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about you. So I am 45 years old uh, or 45 years young, I suppose. Um, I am an attorney in the Washington, D.C. area, and I am the oldest brother of you. My big brother. How about you? How many kids? Uh, we have four children. Our oldest is on a two-year mission for our church. Um, he is 19, and we have a 17, 15, and 11-year-old. So one boy and three girls. And his kids are the best, P.S. I love them so they're, much. They're pretty sweet. I'm a biased aunt, of course. Um, yeah. Tell me about being an attorney and having ADD and how that makes you uniquely qualified to talk to me about your experience <laughs> in therapy. <laughs> uh, so yes, I'm an attorney with uh, ADHD. ADHD. Um, it's all right. There's a, there's a nuanced difference. Um, in my particular case, it was undiagnosed uh, for years um, and, and I uh, self-medicated through a high-stress lifestyle. Uh, in other words, I was able to, the, the ADHD didn't flare up and didn't become an issue because I was just putting out one fire after another fire after another fire in my professional life. I've, I've had a number of hats, but at that time I was, I worked for a large international law firm and I traveled all over the world as a international white collar criminal defense attorney. And so I would literally find out Friday that I needed to be in Greece for two weeks starting on Sunday. And then from then I would go straight to Japan and from Japan to Mexico. And I was seeing my family, you know, for a day or two in between. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was actually from an ADHD perspective, very positive because if you are always on an adrenaline and you are never sleeping, uh, you can't get distracted because you can always focus on the next bright, shiny new thing. And there was was always it was a never-ending string of bright shiny new things for me to focus on uh, ADHD became a much bigger issue when for a variety of reasons primarily uh, lifestyles I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later and and for my own personal health I, I made a major shift in my career I uh, went in-house to a mid-sized research nonprofit and suddenly had to sit in an office all day long and answer emails and meet with people in my office and I had to struggle with feeling like, well, I must be a failure because nobody's sending me anywhere. And oh my gosh, why does it take me three hours to write in one paragraph email because I can't focus on it? Um, And that was when I went and talked to a doctor to try and figure out what's this new thing? I can't, (laughs) if I'm not running across the world, I I can't do things. I can't accomplish. I can't function. Um, And I knew I was better. I I knew that in, in a, in an adrenaline fueled environment, I could crank out whatever needed to happen. I could, I was the, I was the guy you called to, you know, show up in a factory in Shenzhen, China and interview the people on the factory floor to figure out how foreign, how sensitive U.S. technology ended up in a factory in China and, and who had access to it and what happened. And, 
and uh, and to work for you know 48 straight hours and produce some amazing report. But when you asked me just to sit in an office all day, I, I couldn't get anything done. And anyway, so uh, doctors helped me see, oh, there's this thing called ADHD and you definitely have it. And I got on medication. And, and you were the guy that they could call to show up in China and work 48 hours straight, but at a cost, <laughs> at a physical, yes. mental cost. It was not healthy uh, or sustainable in the, in the long run. And yes, beyond the was, ADHD, <laughs> beyond the ADHD. Well, and that was what was interesting was realizing that I was using uh, really in I was using my work as a really ineffective way of dealing with my ADHD. As I sort of reflected back before getting that job, I was using law school. And before law school, I was, you know, in college, I worked two jobs and was rock climbing every week and taking 17 and, credits and 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 going to school full-time and I always you know and snow you know squeezing and snowboarding and rock climbing and dating and you know I, I just my whole life I always had to have a million things swirling around and I had a, a crisis event that gratefully you were uh, you were there with me for and uh, way back in 2007 and realized that if I didn't make some really dramatic changes I I was going to that I, I wouldn't survive to my 40s mm. um, and, and I tell and them I a needed, quick story about why we yeah. were together at that time yeah <laughs> I'll just set that up for a second it was a very interesting year because my I was super pregnant with my second man and my husband came home and said I'm joining the army <laughs> just kidding <laughs> love that guy so glad we're in the army and I, I really am saying that tongue in cheek, but it, it is, it was a life changing experience. So I'm pregnant. Yeah. I have this baby. He goes to basic training, really challenging to have two little littles and my husband at basic training. So I moved in with my parents. Well, not just two, like, your, your first two are almost <laughs> Irish twins. They are 13, yeah, they're months, 13 apart. months apart. So I had a 15 month old and a two month old when he left. For four months, you know, so I just moved in with my parents who lived in Southern California. I was in Utah at the time and lived with them for those four months. And we got to hang out a ton because you were there working on the weekday yeah, in Southern I was, California. I was managing an investigation for a large electronics manufacturer that was in trouble with the Department of State. And so, yes, I, it actually gave me for, for quite a bit of that time. I was I was working in Southern California and commuting home on the weekend. Yeah. And he lived in Virginia and would be in Southern California for the weeks. And we got to see each other more than we had seen each other in 10 years because oh, yeah. we live such different lives. And it was just such a funny thing. My parents and you and I, we would laugh about how weird it was that we were both at their house because Ben figured he could either stay at a hotel or, you know, get a home cooked meal and see some people. And so he, you ended up sleeping at mom and dad's not every night, but a lot of the nights. I was there every weeknight. Every weeknight. Mom would do my laundry. Are you kidding me? I wasn't going anywhere. The home cooked meals and laundry. It was best. And I would get up in the middle the night with my three-month-old and you'd be trying to crank out more work at 4 a.m. and I think when does this guy sleep? That was when I really got a glimpse of what you were trying to accomplish with I'm the person who doesn't need sleep and who works when I'm out. Anyway. It was really, uh, yeah, that lifestyle ended up being really pretty catastrophic for me. Um, 
I had sort of dabbled with a depression diagnosis before. Um, I should preface this by saying that my wife is a therapist. Um, and, Which is amazing. And she, she's awesome. But you can't get therapy from your spouse. And Absolutely not. Because it does not work. <laughs> And so she had been worried about me for a while and had brought things to my attention. And so, yeah, I, I had gone to talk to doctors before, but I kind of felt like, oh, this is situational. I'd been told, oh, you have situational depression, change your situation. Oh, okay. So I'd go and talk to folks at work and they would say, okay, well, let's pull you off this project. And, it, you know, things would get better for a couple of weeks. And then they put me on the next project and we were just right back where we were. So I wasn't on a really productive cycle and I was sleeping three to four hours a night for years. Uh, People would say, don't you get jet lagged? And I would say, if you never stay in one place long enough to develop a sleep cycle, then you can't get jet lagged. Your internal Um, clock has no idea what's going on. Yeah, your internal clock is just like, we're always tired. Yay. And, you know, (laughs) right on track. Drink massive amounts of caffeine and, and, yeah, like I said, just ran on adrenaline for years and years. Anyway, I woke up one morning in 2007 and realized that uh, I was that that I desperately wanted to end my life, and that I it um, felt like the only way out. That it felt like the only way out, and that uh, and and realizing that I had been fantasizing and planning and plotting and had like that that had been a constant running dialogue that I had been sort of pushing away, um, and, and that I was deeply suicidal and so I thought well we don't want to feel that anymore and you know so I tried to just keep pushing it down it became apparent over the next couple of weeks that that I was fighting really strong suicidal impulses nonstop. and again because my wife is a therapist I knew that uh, I knew the signs I knew that I was um, in a dangerous place and that this wasn't just a little depression anymore Uh, this was pretty intense suicidal ideation with you know means and a plan and that I was just trying to gut it and trying to gut it out was just a, a, a waiting game because eventually a time would come when I would be too tired to resist and too sad and too and things would be too dark and and it was really every day I was rolling a dice that I would have the internal fortitude to not end my life that day and that was that was not a good long-term strategy no. um, and so I called my wife and had a very difficult conversation with her where I admitted what I was feeling when I was going through and we prayed together and she encouraged me again to get help and I committed to go get help and then I made a phone call and and the hardest door I ever walked in in my whole life was to that therapist's office because it was very hard where I was mentally to accept the fact that I could not handle this and and recognizing that opening that door really meant fundamentally changing my life I didn't know how yet but but that that was that was the purpose of going in that door was to change my life and I didn't know what that would mean because I had worked very hard for many years to build the life I had I was in my dream job I loved my work it was exciting it was fulfilling it was rewarding I was professionally you know professional accolades everybody told me all the time what a great person I was and how how wonderful I was and how I saved the day and all this and and essentially I was I was opening a door that led to a complete and total change Uh, I didn't know what that would involve but I knew that that's what it meant and that was really, really scary. Mm. So over the next year and a half, I do some really great therapists. Um, I initially saw a therapist in California who was awesome just because that's where I was during the week. 
I also saw a psychiatrist who got me on some medication that was really helpful. And but yeah, the therapy journey for me was about a year and a half, and and it was it was awesome. I, I consider it to be next to getting married to my wife and going on a mission uh, and and becoming a father. I would say opening that door to go to therapy was one of the most uh, important decisions of my life. Wow. Um, the, the things that it has the you know has had the most dramatic impact on me, and 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 I guess I, without going into all the details of therapy, I'll just share two quick anecdotes. Number one was taking the a depression screening, and you know just thinking, oh, okay, I'm filling out this questionnaire. I can fill out a questionnaire. I'm going to the depression screening, and then you know the therapist talked to me a little bit about some of my questions, and we were we we had talked long enough. This was the very first visit. We had talked long enough that, that we had established a little bit of rapport. She was really, really good. Um, and so maybe 20, 30 minutes into the session and she said, well, listen, I've, I've scored your depression index here and I need you to know that under the laws of the state of California, I could have you involuntarily committed. And I were thinking, what? I didn't even know that. I didn't even think that that was a possibility. Like, oh my gosh. That's an alarming um, sentence to be It was a very you. alarming sentence. And, and like my panic response was just, wait, no, I've got Run. all these things to do and all these people at a on me, I need to run and, and realizing that oh, even running like she could with a phone call. She they have tasers, white, then they have tasers, they have white vans, they, they can make it happen. And, running would be worse. <laughs> Running would be worse, yeah. <laughs> and but the next sentence she said was really positive. She said, "Listen, but so you know, I'm diagnosing you as a severe depressive. You have, you know, it's sometimes called severe depressive disorder or major depressive disorder. Uh, but you're a severe depressive, and yours has um, all the big words, but, right? Severe, you have all the big major. words. Yep. Um, she said, but you're highly functional." you're waking up every morning. You know, some people who have this can't get out of bed. You get out of bed. You just hate yourself every minute of every day while you're doing it, but you are highly functional. And and I want to hang on to that. And she said, I, I don't think it would be helpful for you to be institutionalized right now. And I remember thinking, oh, oh good. <laughs> because I can't, I can't conceive of what that would mean to go be institutionalized right now. But it really, what it did do, it did a couple of things for me. It definitely helped me see, oh, this is depression with a big D. This isn't, I'm a a little depressed. This is big D depression. This is medical intervention necessary depression. This is, you know, this is what you see on TV. This is, this is serious. And I need to take this seriously, uh, which if I didn't know that already, it definitely reinforced that. And that I could trust this person. And she leveled um, with you. Yeah. That she was straight up. Oh, and then the, I mean, she put some conditions on it. I had to come to her twice a week. No. Um, I had to at least to, you know, to start. And she also warned me that it would get a lot worse before it got a lot better. Mm. And and that That's was pretty common with working on your brain. Yeah, yeah. It would get worse before it got better. But but even having that that ammunition was really empowering for me because at least in my particular case, and you and I talked about this the other day, I could quit feeling she helped me to externalize my diagnosis. Yeah. Meaning you don't feel guilty because you have cancer. You don't sit there and say, What's wrong with me? And maybe people who smoke their whole life feel guilty that they smoke their whole life now they have cancer. But but most cancers, you know, are most major medical issues it, it's a it's easy to externalize it. it's something you are fighting and you've got a team behind you fighting and and what my therapist helped me to do was recognize that my depression was an external thing it was a medical circumstance thing. and yeah and it was something that that it wasn't my fault um and that we needed to work on together and and that was actually strangely empowering because i didn't need to feel guilty anymore um mm -hmm. because i had guilt was such a a, a 
tremendous part of my every day. I felt guilty that I was late on this thing to this client. I felt guilty that I was missing another family trip. I felt guilty that my children never saw me. I felt guilty that I didn't have time to talk to my wife because I was going to take a client out to dinner. No. Um, I've, you know, I, I, and my day was just one never ending stream of you're not good enough. Not enough. And you're not enough. And it was actually really helpful to say, I'm just a little bit crazy. Um, and it's, it's okay. It. And wrap my arms around it and say, this is not, this is, there's things I need to do to fix this, but this isn't, but I'm doing, you know, this isn't my fault. And, and, and that is not, not to, not to shed my own responsibility, but this is, this is something that happened to me and that I'm not playing with the full deck yeah. and I don't have all the tools. I, I need to stop comparing myself to other people who appear to be handling this just fine because I, I, don't have all the tools that they do and I need to just focus on me and the tools I have and focus on that instead of feeling guilty that I don't that, that I'm not meeting some external standard for for the person I ought to be I like the words that you use just now when you said externalize your diagnosis and to me I visualize that as almost before you did that it meant oh if I'm depressed that means I'm a bad person I've done something wrong and she was able to help you almost pull out of yourself and set it next to you and That's say, right. like, this is my diagnosis that I'm now working on. And here I am as a person and here's my diagnosis. And it's two separate things. That's is it right. something like that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was similar to, you know, last year I had a major mountain biking accident and yeah. I, I, I went to physical therapy three times a week so that we could sit there and work on my therapy. I didn't, we could sit there and work on my limbs and, you know, and, and restore them to working order. I didn't sit there and feel guilty that my arms that didn't needed work. that. Um, you know, I, there, there was no point to that. And, and the only, you know, there was no point to sitting there and feeling, feeling terrible about that. The, the, the only thing I had to do was to keep going to therapy so that they could physical therapy so they could help me to, to get better. And, and, and she definitely helped me to see that, um, th that you could focus on your mental health in the same way. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think was really helpful, and I think this folds into a little bit, the, the coaching, um, was she helped me to recognize, and the reason it got worse before it got better was because I had developed since childhood uh, a bunch of really ineffective coping strategies for managing everything from my ADHD to a pretty strained relationship with our dad to a mother who was chronically ill um, and I had developed some really pretty self-destructive coping strategies but they were working kind of they, they had gotten me into a very successful career and a beautiful family and you know uh, so they were working ish um, but they were also slowly destroying me and and the work of therapy was essentially I had thought that what I needed to go to therapy for was to shore up my coping strategies <laughs> they weren't working well enough and so I just needed some help to you know I, it was sort of like uh, I was maintaining a dam and I kept all the negative parts of me over here behind the dam so that I could focus so on convenient. everything on the other side that was so great anytime anything negative I could just shove it on the other side of that dam and you know, the dam was leaking and that's all we had was just a leaky dam so I need to go to therapy to help me shore up the dam and, and so that I can keep more of that stuff all bottled up inside. I love that. And um, and I, I mean, very naively thought that, no, that this is, is going to be great. And, and what she said was, we're going to break the dam. She was going to break the dam. And I was like, you can't break the dam. Then everybody will know who I am and everybody will know that. And I'll I'm have to look at it and feel it. And I'll have to look at it and feel it. And I've worked so hard my whole life to push all that back there. And it hurt 
it's so bad to break that dam down, but it was the best, one of the best things I've ever done in my life because she then helped me to rebuild who I was as a totally different person and that I could coexist with all the parts of myself that I could accept the evil, awful, dark sides of me along with the, you know, really good and, and positive sides of me and that they could somehow coalesce into one Ben and, and rebuilding that was a really beautiful, awful, trying, but cathartic experience. It was, it was, it felt like a rebirth. And when it was all done, I mean, I, I, I divide my life now into pre and post 2007 because I'm not the same person mm-hmm. now that I was pre 2007. I, I, and, and I have to work to maintain that. Um, it, it takes a lot of ongoing maintenance, mm-hmm. uh, but it was, it was awesome. It was totally awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I love that you listed therapy in with those other really important moments in your life, like marriage, your mission, becoming a dad, because those are kind of the words you can use to describe. You, you said beautiful, hard, terrifying. That's what parenting is. That's what a mission yeah. is. That's what marriage, <laughs> marriage is. Absolutely. Anything we do that's crazy important is also hard. I mean, it's it's the good and the bad all wrapped together. And if you're trying to create a life where there's only good, it's, it's going to come at a cost. You can't be a parent and have it all be only good. You can't be a husband and have it all be only good. You have to be willing to accept all the parts. We talked. About, I talked to my clients about that all the time. Another thing that I wanted to bring up was where it gets worse before it gets better. In the coaching world, we call that the river of misery. So you're over here on one bank and the river is the misery. <laughs> And, and everything over here on the bank feels kind of okay. And this is, this is part of what you described of part of your high functioningness was sort of how you rationalized, see, I'm doing okay. I'm getting out of bed every morning. That was how you rationalized. I don't need to see a therapist. I don't need to change anything. Look, I'm not, you know, I, I haven't lost my job. one of the job. largest law firms in the world, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm managing to, professionally, everybody thinks I'm awesome. Yeah, I, I haven't lost my job. I haven't lost my family. Clearly, my dam is doing a great job. I yeah. love that analogy. That's so good. So your river of misery was breaking the dam. My clients, it's more of just getting in the river and it's a lot worse than the bank looked like it was, but the other side is where they get to the rebirth. You know, the other side of the river, you have to get through the river. That's not very fun. And and you look back at the bank and you think that was better, but the other side is where mental health exists. That's where you actually feel amazing and are living the life you want to live rather than this little shell you had created over here. So that getting worse before it gets better is a really important concept that can be, but it's it's important. No, not even just so that when it happens to you, you're like, I'm right on track. I'm not doing this wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's talk about your experiences just last year with coaching because I like to hear. Sure. I want to talk about, I've, I've already talked in the podcast episode about what therapy strengths are, what coaching strengths are, where they overlap. And so I just kind of want to hear from you as sure. you compare those these two awesome fields that are kind of on parallel tracks, what your yeah. experience was. So a longtime family friend had decided to change careers and had gone and gotten certified as a, as a life coach. And she was focusing on, you know, health elements. Uh, she has a son with some pretty serious um, allergies, food allergies. And, and she wanted to sort of combine life and health and nutrition and bring that all together. And she needed some hours to get her certification. And so my wife, uh, who has noticed that over the years, um, I've, I've put on a few pounds, was thinking, oh, we should help Ben. 
we should we should see if that would help mm-hmm. because again she knows she can't help me because it doesn't work that way um, it doesn't work that way so i agreed and uh we set up a time when when we would get started and uh sounds great and in between when we agreed to get started we were going to get started i think end of june you know middle to the end of june june 16th of last year i uh was taking a bunch of uh, young men from our church on a high adventure trip i was in charge of the high adventure trip the first day of the high adventure trip was to a local ski resort where we were doing downhill mountain biking introducing the boys to downhill mountain biking and uh, i had been mountain biking for years and so i hung out with the boys on the you know bunny slopes and then me and one of the one of my you know longtime former you know scouts who was also a bit of a daredevil but he has the body and the age to be doing this kind of stupid stuff decided let's go hit one of the black diamond runs because you know i know what i'm doing i've been doing this for years and uh we went off uh, we were we were just flying off jumps and having a great time and i, I just misjudged uh, one of the the angle of one of the jumps it, it was a little trick of the eye i didn't hit it at the right speed or the right angle and instead of you know landing uh you know comfortably in the landing zone i just made full impact with a retaining wall and you know had just a millisecond to let go of the bike and you know bring my arms up to cover my chest and my neck and and, uh, as a result you know broke both my arms and among other things messed everything else up uh the ripped my shoulder out of the socket and tore all the ligaments that hold that in place and buckled my whole rib cage and snapped four ribs in the back anyway it was in a ton of pain and here i am I'm about to start, you know, life coaching. So I I tell this to our friend and she's just like, what? Are you kidding me? Um, And I was like, so, you know, if you need to find somebody else to work with, maybe, maybe you should. And she's like, no, 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 no. This is perfect. This is a good time. This is perfect. Let's work with you. And it was actually really nice because, uh, you know, my employer has a very generous short-term disability program. I was just home and and able to focus on recovery in a way I don't think I normally would be able to if, you know, when recovering from an injury. I, I was, you know, being paid to sit at home and get better. And, and so I was taking my, you know, I was taking my uh, physical therapy super seriously. And I was walking seven miles a day because my legs work fine. Um, and so I was, I was quite the sight. I had two casts and uh, my kids would strap the dog to my waist and we live in this. Do you have a picture of that? I need to No, see. I should. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should. I don't think I do. The, uh, we live in this beautiful place with miles of trails behind our house. And so. Um, he the, does live in such kids, a beautiful place. The, the kids would strap the dog to my waist and I would just go out for two or three hours and we'd the dog and I would just go walk around and, and yeah I was doing about seven eight miles a day and uh, just on foot just trying in the because sweaty it, Virginia summer in the sweaty Virginia summer well and what I felt was that in terms of pain relief that was better than any any drugs and so and it was probably that was somewhat, actually it was probably somewhat therapeutic too oh oh it felt great it to felt do great. something I loved it to do something because I, I just couldn't sit around in the house and you know wait it was awful. Uh, you can only watch so much Netflix as, mm. as the whole world is discovering right now. My experience, because we connected over this since I've had my huge injury, but mine yeah. was all my legs. So I laid there doing nothing for months. Yes, yes. Well, and I did not have a coach. Later on, no, later on in the year, in the fall, I, yeah. I, tore, I tore the uh, plantar fascia tendon in my foot and could 
couldn't walk. And that was actually much worse mm. to recover from in terms of gaining weight and all the other stuff because I couldn't walk. Uh, yeah. Walking ended up being really huge. But in any event. I love um, that you and Dan, Dan's my other older brother, you guys call this the 40 ferry. Just Oh, man. I mean, the mountain just... biking wasn't the 40 ferry. That was you thinking you weren't 40. <laughs> <laughs> but the foot one was the 40 ferry because it's just you're walking ferry. along. Yep. I was just, you, I was just you were also doing, doing something kind of stupid. <laughs> what were you doing? Let's just say it. I was you were I, longboarding, I weren't you? I, I hadn't started long. I was oh. running. <laughs> I had I had thrown the longboard out in front of me, and then I was taking like three quick steps to go jump onto the longboard. And like step three, I felt a rubber band snap, so snap. my foot and down. Okay, so um, Dan's so is the forty the fairy. Longboard. Dan's is the forty fairy. Yours is the I think the, I'm not forty fairy. I I I coined the phrase forty fairy, so I'm gonna own that. Anyway, okay, that'll be yours. But anyway, I working with my health coach was awesome because she, you know, it's now been or the over ten years since I, you know, since I, I had gone through my therapy for depression and all that stuff, and and there's a lot of maintenance that I just now do as a regular condition, mental maintenance, I call it. That that um, I have a bunch of red flags in place, and when I trip one of those red flags, I know, oh, okay, these are the red flags that I spent a year and a half building. Um, so. And they're miles ahead of being back. Miles ahead of, that's right. They're miles ahead of of the problem. And and my trip wires are, are, you know, way before. And so I pay very close attention to trip wires. And so all of that's working pretty good. But, but I hadn't, you know, in in the intervening decade, I put on 30 pounds and I got busy with church and life and, you know, my kids got older and, and I hadn't had a chance to sit down and just sort of think about, well, you know, what are the choices you're making now? You're not, you're not depressed. This isn't life threatening, but how can you, I guess that would be the differentiator. In 2007, I needed massive medical intervention. Life-saving. To save my life, right? Mm-hmm. To save my life and, and to rebuild me into a new person. In 2019, I was still maintaining all my trip wires, but I was making choices that were not intentional. And building this concept of intentionality was a really big part of what my life coach helped me to do was to help me understand that um, A, to accept myself, accept where I was, accept my beautiful curvy body, mm-hmm. um, accept that, uh, that for, you know, that, that I will never have the body I did as a 30, you know, as my 45 year old body will never look like it did at 35 and hoping and wishing and feeling bad that I don't have that is stupid. And so instead, let's just focus on where we are. Let's focus on what we can, what we can do by making small intentional choices. The, the, the analogy that I used to, to sort of help me mentally wrap my head around this was the idea of, you know, when, when Christ talked to the wealthy man and, and he said, you know, how can I get to heaven? And Christ said, you know, feed the poor and, you know, perform services at the, at the temple and, you know, lists all the things, give offerings. And the rich man said, well, I've done all this my whole life. What lack I yet? And I realized that I needed to find the what lack I yet. I needed to go in there and say, okay, I'm doing lots of good stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm checking all the bases. And, but if there are little what lack I yet that I can dig in and find that will have a transformational impact on my life. Boy, it'd be fun to find those. And and I think that's what the life coach helped me to do was was to find, and I called them the what lack I yet, to go find the what lack I yet, break them down into intentional daily choices 
and then follow through with those daily choices and to think more about, you know, okay, you feel hungry right now. What, what's your automatic response? Let's break down that automatic response. Mm-hmm. How can we break down the automatic response into the choices that you're making? The, the, I mean, this goes back to therapy. You think things are automatic and what, what therapy helps you do is to break down that. No, it's not automatic. It happens. Tiny choices. You know, you've, tiny choices that lead along for a really long time before you have this, you know, before you start to feel depressed. And, and those are the tripwires I talked about. Well, these were more, I would say, micro, uh, micro choices, micro, you know, automatic responses that, um, that I was making in terms of exercise, in terms of how I looked at myself in the mirror. One of the first things that my therapist, my, you know, my, uh, sorry, therapist, my life coach helped me to do was go into your closet, pick up every, all your suits that don't fit, all your t-shirts that are too small, that your favorite t-shirt from when you're in college, whatever, get rid of them all. Gone. Everything that doesn't fit, get rid of it because you can't get, you can't make any changes until you can accept where you are. And you, and, and this would be a, 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 a concrete way of accepting who you are and where you are is getting rid of all the clothes that don't fit you anymore. Yeah. Um, that you're, you're just creating, hanging on to. You're creating that you evidence one day. for yourself. Yeah. You're saying that those are now gone. And I talk to my clients about this. We talk about how our natural unintentional response is to uh, hate ourselves different. That's, that's the way I say it, where you beat yourself up hoping that will make you change. Like you look in the mirror and you think, oh, I'm disgusting. I should eat better today. Rather than you look in the mirror and you say, let's take great care of my body and eat better today. It's yeah. such a different decision to yeah. make. We want, to, we want to beat ourselves up to create change or to create improvement, that's right. but that just makes us actually sink deeper into our, into yes. pushing it all away. And, right. Yeah. So yeah. I think you're right. And anyway, it, it was, it was a really great experience. Um, both, both the life coaching and because it was happening in this really unique time when I had a lot of time to sit and think. And she also helped me to realize that your goal should not be to drop 30 pounds. Your goal needs to be sleep more. Let's get, yeah. let's have better sleep. Let's just focus on better sleep. And, and let's just, let's just make that our whole focus right now. And, and so we had weeks where my whole, all of my goals and all of my efforts for self-improvement were in terms of why do you stay up too late and then eat, you know, recognizing that I stay up late, I eat junk food because, you know, this is one of the patterns that I developed over years and helped me stay awake with all these stupid, yeah. you know, but, but we talked about before. But anyway, um, ha- how can we make changes well in advance of your decision to stay up late that will avoid uh, any issue with uh, late night snacking? And, mm-hmm. and what might, what changes might that have for your relationship with your wife? What changes might that have in how you interact with your children if you're going to bed earlier? And whatever benefit you think you're going to get out of staying up until 12, 1 in the morning, when you look at it in the balance of the benefits you can get by going to bed at 10 or 10.30, you know, let's be intentional about that choice instead of mm-hmm. just, it's 10.30 and, oh, I'm going to answer these few additional emails and, oh, well, I'm going to do the dishes because the, dishes, the kitchen's a mess. And, you know, helping me to sort of break down positive, intentional choices and inserting those into the automatic responses that I, I had going on. It was awesome. But it was sort of at the micro level, whereas earlier therapy was at the macro level. Yes. Oh, that's so good. And we make these tiny decisions a million times and they stop feeling like a decision. It feels so automatic. Yeah, that's right. And then, and so then what I love to explain to my clients is if you were focused on losing 30 pounds, like in your example, then you would say, well, I'm still going to stay up late and I'm just not going to eat. <laughs> like you're just using right. this willpower. I'm going to gut it out. Right. I'm going to gut it out. And 
and that then that, you're, that doesn't yeah, work. It doesn't work. And to take care of, to treat your, your mental health and your physical health as this treasure, you're, you're thinking, I'm going to go to bed early because I love my body and I want to take good care of it and I want to feel great tomorrow and then keep those commitments to myself. I'm going to make that commitment to myself. And then even when my brain says, let's just answer a few more emails and say, no, I keep commitments to myself because I, this is a treasure <laughs> and I'm going to go put myself to bed when I've told myself I put myself to bed. And then you start to create evidence for that. I'm a person who keeps commitments to myself and I'm a person who takes care of this vessel. <laughs> That's so good. I love it. I'm so glad you had a great experience with that. It was, it was really positive. Let me ask you one more question. I'm just curious. With the mental maintenance you'd been doing for years and with your red flags and tripwires you talked about, was that it was great for not getting back to that scary place, but was that almost keeping you in this sort of medium unintentional life in that you would say, well, at least I'm not there. I must, I'm okay. Cause at least I am not getting bad again. Was that part of it? I'm just, hmm. I wonder. I don't know. That's, I, had, I don't know. I thought that through. That's an interesting realization. It's a little bit how when you were in a bad place, you'd say, well, at least I'm getting out of bed in the morning. And, and one thing that I've talked about on the podcast already is that, and you and I have talked about this, therapy is beautiful to get you from hard places and not, and just for all my listeners, not always such a dramatic, scary place. It can, you can be at all kinds of levels if you feel yeah, like you need therapy, right. go get therapy. But right. it takes you from that place, that hard place to function, more functioning, more healthy functioning and a nice maintenance place. And then coaching kind of takes you from that nice maintenance place into more an intentional creation space where now what do I want to make of my life rather than just not go back to that scary place? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I think the way I would frame it is therapy helped me to build those tripwires, which are really important to my long-term health. Really important. But I probably focus so much much on those tripwires that I missed a lot of other things that I could be doing to improve myself mm. and missed a lot of choices I could be making that, that would lead to a richer and, and more full life. And you're right, probably because I could say, well, my tripwires are good and I, good to go. you know, I'm good which to go. It's great. Which is, no, it was very important. No, it was, it was helpful to see that there are other things I can be doing that are, they don't undermine my tripwires. It, it wasn't, uh, oh, see, you thought you were living a good life, but really you weren't. Really, you know, you're the you're, worst. You're, really, you're the worst. You know, like, no, those tripwires are awesome. Let's look at the other things on the micro level that mm -hmm. are impacting, maybe they're not impacting your your life in such a, in such a life-threatening way, but they are impacting your sort of day-to-day -day health and happiness and and yeah maybe that's it maybe maybe that's an interesting connection i don't think i made before that focusing so carefully on my tripwires probably led me to a bit of have a bit of myopia and and miss other things well and to be working so much on the areas you were really good at working on now it sort of let the other areas of life just be a little bit in default and that's what i help my clients do is come out of default yeah i like that and just own what they're creating just take a look at the whole thing and, and well not even the whole thing all at once but just the parts that that aren't working for you and what you could make of that. Yeah, like your weight wasn't working for you. Right, yeah. It needed some attention, but you didn't really know how to tackle it. And your coach could help you see, oh, these tiny little decisions, just like you said. So good. Ben, thank you so much for your time today. This has been amazing. I love to share these awesome stories that you have with my listeners. It's so valuable for people to hear what might be a reason they would go to therapy, what might be a reason they would go see a coach and how they can take those actions to make their life more of what they want it to be. So again, thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing all those parts of you. I really appreciate it. It's, it's the best. It's I the love best. what you're doing and uh, I, I love this journey. Awesome. Okay. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Ben. Yep. Bye. 
Isn't he awesome? Oh, I just love my brother Ben. So we're just about ready to close this episode, but I wanted to include a quote from Tony Robbins about the differences he finds between life coaching and therapy. And I like to include him here because one, everybody knows who he is. And two, he's kind of the first life coach. Obviously not officially probably the first life coach, but he's definitely a well-known one that's been around for a long time. And he says, the fundamentals of life coaching are what distinguish it from therapy. Life coaches do not diagnose while therapists determine pathology so they can be clinically treated. Therapists analyze their client's past as a tool for understanding present behaviors, whereas life coaches simply identify and describe current problematic behaviors so the client can work to modify. A life coach would be able to offer guidance by clarifying and achieving personal and professional goals, creating business plans, working to improve communication skills, achieving financial independence and security, achieving a work-life balance, starting a new business or growing a current business. A therapist, on the other hand, focuses their conversation on ways to recover from past traumas, explore why past relationships have been destructive, work through depression or anxiety that affect your ability to function at home or at work, and survive divorce or the loss of a loved one. So I thought that was a pretty great description of some of the ways that life coaching and therapy differ, really emphasizing their strengths. I'm going to close out this episode with a hot mess moment for you guys in honor of that interview with my brother, Ben. It's a a hot mess moment from that time when we were together in Southern California at my parents' house in 2007. So this is just a quick one. My brother, like he mentioned, is is a lawyer. And so he has a certain dress code for work. And each morning, he would iron his dress shirts before getting dressed. And just so you guys know, I know how to iron, but I'm not great at it. And I never do it. Like never. My poor husband has to just iron his own shirts, which I think is actually kind of great for him. And I just don't iron my clothes. I don't buy clothes that need to be ironed. And I don't, I don't, my mom, I'm sure made attempts to teach me when I was younger and instill the importance of it in me. And I just don't iron. I just don't. So my brother would iron his shirts every morning and sometimes he'd be running late and I'd want to be able to help him. So this was the time in my life where I actually really did learn how to iron. He taught me the way he liked it done and I was happy to help him with it and actually start to get a little bit good at ironing because for several months I would pretty frequently iron his shirts in the morning to help him get ready for work and out the door. I was usually up early with my four month old at the time and it was just a fun, sweet little experience that we were able to share each morning and just a fun thing to admit that I do not iron. So I'd love to hear from you guys if you are ironers or non-ironers. And that's what I have for you guys today. So thank you so much for making time in your day to listen to this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, please go to my website, www.simplyresilient.net to download my free guide to thriving during deployment. I also love when you share this podcast with your friends and rate and review it. Remember that when we choose to intentionally manage our minds, we go from feeling mentally miserable to feeling like a mental warrior. You've got this. I'll talk to you soon. Over and out.